You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. glad as you are to be in the church gathering. The Holy Ghost is glad to be in the church that is in you. We go to church because we go together with God's people. This is in the Bible. You're supposed to go to church. I'm going to try this side. I said this is in the Bible. You're supposed to go to church. This this isn't news to y'all, is it? You're here. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And in the very next verse, it, it starts with four. This is, let's just turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and verse, I think it's 25. I could be wrong, but that's not likely. <laughs> Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, some people don't like to go to church. Some people who used to go to church don't go to church. Manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. All right, look at verse 26. Four. Now, any, any simple hermeneutic tells you that if you see the word four, it's a commentary on what was just said. The word for precedes a commentary on what was just said. Okay, so what he's about to say is commenting on what he just said. For if we sin willfully. Oh. Anybody here ever wondered what willful sin is? is. Laying out of church. That's what it says. I I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You want to know what the Bible really says? That's what it says. Laying out of church is willful sin. Ooh. Now, not, that's not missing a day. That's not going on vacation. I'm not, we, we're always low in the summer because we live in lake country. Yeah. Yes. It's all right. No big deal. But if you make it a habit just to miss church, he says it's willful sin. And look, look at what he says further. For if we sin willfully at... After, after, uh, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. What he's saying to the Hebrews is, you can't now go down to the temple and slay an animal to get cleansing. It's not going to work. There is no other sacrifice that remains. There was one sacrifice to end all sacrifice. That's the blood of Jesus. And I tied this together and I said, Lord, I was praying about it one day. I needed revelation on this. What do you mean? What do you mean here? It makes it sound like you're saying going to church is a cleansing. Like just just being in the presence of the the people of God. He said, yeah, the the church has another name, John. I said, what's that? He said, the body of Christ. And I've got a question to ask you now, boy. Where do you keep your blood? In my body. Glory to God. His blood in a spiritual sense flows through the body. And when you just step in the building with the people of God, 
Woo, you made you, you connected your joints and you get a blood cleansing right there every time you show up. Somebody say amen. This is really powerful. You don't have to confess a sin to the preacher. Please don't. I already know what you're capable of. <laughs> you're capable of living your whole life without sinning. That's what I believe. That's right. Amen. You are the temple of God. This is what we're going to be talking about today. You are the temple of God. And there was a lot of blood in the temple. If you are the temple of God, I began to ask myself the question, Lord, what does that mean? Let's take our Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. We're going to read 17. Verse 17. And then we're going to skip over to few chapters and read a verse out of chapter 6. 1 Corinthians three seventeen says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, in our Wednesday night Bible study, we studied this in depth. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is not talking about you defiling your own temple by overeating and by smoking and drinking. That's not what it's talking about. As the preachers have always said, you're defiling your temple. That's not what he's talking about at all. Not at all. The context of that passage is the master builders who build on the temple. The teachers. Nobody defiles the, the people of God like a teacher. Yeah. Nobody has the potential to defile the, temple of the, the, the people of God, the temple of God, like somebody teaching bad doctrine. Yeah. That's the worst kind of defilement. Smoking a cigarette doesn't do anything to you hardly. I mean, he eventually kill you. Eventually kill you. But the bad doctrine is poison. And he's talking about those. He's talking about those who teach bad doctrine, mostly who teach the law. It's a poison to the people of God. Yes, it is. It's poison to the people of God. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta. You better. You better. You better. Give me a break, Frankenstein. <laughs> Which temple you are. He's not talking about them defiling their own temple. He's talking, in the whole passage, he's talking about the guys who do the preaching and teaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, chapter 6, I mean, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What... Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? No, most pe people do not know this. Most people do not have a clue of what this is really talking about. They read it and they say, Amen, Amen. You can say it in any church. You can say it in any church. You are the temple of the God. You, the Holy Ghost dwells in you. Amen, Amen. They don't know what it means. Because they still beg God to come and do something. Oh God, would you show up here? Hello, I'm inside your heart. They don't really believe it. They, they amen it, but they don't really believe it. Because they still think God is off up in his heaven. And we're way down here needing him to come and rescue us somehow. Have no consciousness of God inside. When that is the great mystery. That's a great mystery that nobody ever heard until Paul came along. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Christ in you, 
You have an anointing inside you because you are the temple of God. Amen. And the blood of Jesus, the eternal blood, the last sacrifice made to do any good for sin at all, works in your heart right now, works in this body right now, flows from one to the other. Amen. If that's a fact, and it is a fact, I began to say, if we're the temple, and he's making this, he's making this parallel, what was in the temple? There were seven primary attributes, seven primary articles in that, in that temple. The first one was the brazen altar in the outer court. I want to try to get somebody to help me. I need seven people to help me. Dean, would you help me? Come on, come on up here. Yeah, come on. Come on, come on. Kenny, come on, boy. Our very first convert here at the river. Five. I need two more. Come on. Two more. All right. You're approaching the temple. And over here on this side, come here, Dean, is the brazen altar. And it's a huge altar. It's 15 feet high. It's in three tiers, three five-foot tiers with, with steps going up to it. The brazen altar. Okay, you stand right there. Come over here. Either to the side or right in front of the door, probably right in front of the door, there was the laver. Now the laver was a great big, about as tall as that, that, that uh, brazen altar, was a great big bowl, just a gigantic bowl. It had been overlaid with, with uh, brass. And it was full of water, full of pure water. And it was held up by 12 emblems, oxen. Three on either side, three facing the north, three facing the south, three facing the east, and three facing the west. And that bowl sat right on top of those 12 oxen. That was huge. I mean, gigantic, like I said. So you're a big bowl. L-A-V-E-R, labor. Like a lavatory. That's where we get our word lavatory. Then you go inside the inner, inner court. And come here. Inside the inner court we have right here, a table of showbread. Just hold your hands out like this, like you're a table. And they had stacks of those big wafer-like bread, unleavened bread, stacks of them here on this. It's called showbread. Everybody say showbread. Showbread. It was the bread showing the deity of Almighty God and His greatness. The showbread. The the reason they call it showbread is because there was was no showbread. Anybody know where the no showbread was? The manna in the covenant, in the box, in the ark. The manna was the no-show bread. This is the show bread. All right, come here. Kenny, you get to be the golden lampstand, the candlestick. You know, you see no swore old cactus? Yep. All right, be one, be one of those. There we go. Get the, the only charismatic cactus in the world is in Arizona. All right, one, two, three, four. All right, come here, baby. You get to be right here. You're the altar of incense. The altar of incense. How perfect. 
Come here, sweetheart. Oh, you're perfect too. With that, with that, with that, those duds you got on today, you are the veil. The veil. Right up here, the holiest of holies. The holiest, the Ark of the Covenant. You, you guard the way to the, the holiest of all, and this is the Ark of the Covenant. This is what it looked like, something like this. Now sometimes you see, you see the brazen altar placed right here where, the, where this is, placed in front of the labor. And other times you see them on either side. Why don't you stand over here, pretty boy? Right there. Right. They, both, they both started moving when I said pretty boy, didn't they? <laughs> so we got the brazen altar. We have the labor. We got the tab, tab, table of showbread. We got the lampstand. We got the altar of incense. We got the veil and the ark of the covenant. These are seven most important things about the the temple, or the tabernacle either. These things were all in the temple. And when he says, "You are the temple of the Holy Ghost," he's saying whatever these things represent are in you. Oh, this is good. Whatever these things represent are in you. They are in you now. Wow. All of this is in you. The Holy of Holies. Wave at us, Holy of Holies. Wave at us back there, uh, <laughs> Bree. The Holy of Holies is in you. You are the temple of God. The holy place, the Ark of the Covenant is in you. That's good stuff. This is what it means to know you have God inside. There's nothing more holy, listen to me, there's nothing more holy on planet earth than you. Nothing more holy on planet earth than you. Think about that. I know what some of you think is, oh God, the world's in trouble. <laughs> no, no. Inside you, inside you, in your body, is the holiness of Almighty God. I am called to connect your stinking thinking to that and get your thinking cleaned up. Because we've all been defiled. All of our temples have been defiled by religious thought to make us think that we got to, we got to, we got to, we better, we better, we better. Rather than just hear the truth of the gospel of grace, the grace of God that poured it all onto Jesus, who voluntarily took our sins away. And if He took our sins away, and He did, that means there's no holier place on planet earth than our temple. Now listen to this, brazen altar. Can you all stand here for a little while? If you get tired with your hands up, you can put them down. But The brazen altar of burnt offering represents to us Jesus' sacrifice on Golgotha. Remember, this is outside. This is the outer court. This right here is the outer court. This is not the inner court. This is not the holy place. This is where Gentiles can come if they want to. Not, not all, it's, it's the temple of God, but it's, it's not the holiest place. Not even called a holy place, the outer court. Sorry, guys. But it's part of the temple just the same. But this represents, this brazen altar represents Jesus 
dying on the cross outside the city walls. We were there last year at Pentecost time. And uh, I got to preach in the upper room, praise God. There's a bunch of people standing off over there on the side talking about it. And we were making noise because we're Pentecostals. See if an eye, you know. All of our students, they were all praying in other tongues, had their hands raised, just worshiping Jesus. A guy came over to me and said, you think y'all could be a little quieter? He said, I said, why? He said, because we're trying to explain to our, our, our group here what, what happened here. I said, just tell them to watch. <laughs> this is what happened here. They wanted to explain it. We were showing them what, what, what happened. We were demonstrating it. Praise God. Brazen altar, the burnt offering, represents Jesus' sacrifice on Golgotha outside the walls. And what it means for you and me is you have freedom. Write this down. If you're writing, if you're taking notes, you have freedom from guilt and shame. You have a shame-free heart. Why don't you say, I have a shame-free heart. When Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that they said about, they said that he said, he had seven sayings from the cross. One of them was, I thirst. I thirst. And I thought a lot about I thirst. I thought, what does I thirst mean? Why did they put that in there? What, what's significant about I thirst? And I found out something. He had already shed so much blood through the beating that he took at the whipping post. He took a cruel, vile, merciless beating. He was, he was, his back was probably ribbons of flesh where they laid him open with that cat of nine tails. And the Romans don't, don't, don't think that he took 39 stripes. That's just a fallacy. That was in Jewish law. He took his beating under Roman law. And they had no such scruples. No place in any of their, any of their documentation can you find them beating somebody 39 times. That's just, that's just not, not Roman law. Roman law was, we're going to beat you and see if you can survive our beating. If you live, good. If you die, who cares? That's good too. They were especially trained to beat a guy within an inch of his life. And I believe that's exactly what they did with Jesus. He gets to the cross and he dies really early. You know, he, he, he hangs there three hours. No, six hours. Hangs there six hours. And then he dies. Men have been known to hang on crosses for days before they died. But he died in short order because he had lost so much blood already, having been beaten with that cat of nine tails. And while he's hanging there, he says, I thirst. They tell us that when people have lost a lot of blood in the medical profession, they say when you've lost a lot of blood, one of the number one complaints of somebody who is really low on blood is they're thirsty. They complain of being thirsty because they lost so much blood. People that are dying from bloodshed, they often complain they're thirsty. When Jesus made his sacrifice, he became thirsty. He became thirsty. Just what, what Dylan said this morning, he and I didn't get to, together and compare notes. He said, eating the right food makes you crave that food. Yeah. Let me tell you something. 
if you don't feel like worshiping God, worship Him anyway. And you'll get thirsty for the things of God. Make your own sacrifice. Make your own sacrifice of praise. And you'll get thirsty for the things of God. Because this dwells in you. This shame-free heart. And most of the time, the reason why people don't want to praise God, don't want to worship Him, don't want to offer their sacrifices because they're full of shame. They don't feel worthy to come into His presence. But listen to me. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Miss Ann, would you read that for me? Can you turn, can you turn the uh, computer up there, Miss Whitney? Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may attain, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now listen to me. Why do you need mercy? Why do you need mercy? When you need mercy, why do you need mercy? Because you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. When you need mercy, it's because you've done something wrong. And when you've done something wrong and you come pleading for mercy in the, in the courts of Durant or Bryan County, you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Are you going to do that boldly or groveling? We're going to be groveling because men expect you to grovel. Man made religion that expects you to grovel too. But that didn't say come groveling. That said come boldly. How do you come boldly? With a firm conviction that Jesus already paid your penalty. Glory to God. The courtroom is rigged. My big brother is a prosecuting attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and he likes me. The judge is my daddy. This courtroom's going to be okay. I got a feeling it's all going to be all right. I got a feeling I'm going to win this case. I have no evidence, but I think I'm going to win this case. The devil's got all the evidence. He says, I saw him do this, I saw him do that, I saw him do this, I saw him do that. He's, he's no good, Jesus. And they pulled up my records, and they're all white. Amen. <laughs> How did that get turned white? By the blood of Jesus. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. This is good. All right, y'all go sit down. Y'all keep the picture of them in your mind. Thank you very much. Thank you for helping me preach today. Especially that veil. I like that pink veil. The labor now. The labor means Jesus had the Spirit without measure. And the, the Spirit was carried, was supported by 12 oxen. You all remember my teaching about the oxen? The five-fold ministry? And there are 12 of them, meaning authority. 12 represents authority. And who has the authority? Those who carry the message of the oxen. The oxen. That's why I'm teaching and y'all are listening. It's not because I'm good. It's because I have authority in the Spirit. And these elders recognize that. Miss Ann recognizes that. That's, that's, that's the way it works. Somebody has to be in charge in a church. 
Somebody has to divide, decide what doctrine we're going to preach here, what, what we're going to hear, what, what we're going to live our lives by. Amen. And that's what that 12, those 12 oxen represent, those who preach the gospel. And when they do, they carry this thing of the Spirit. Anytime you hear the real gospel preached, anything becomes possible in that moment. Right now, the possibility of you getting completely healed is real right now. The possibility of you receiving your financial miracle is real right now. The possibility of you getting your, 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 your heart back Getting your, getting your life back, getting your joy back, getting your family back. It's all real right now, sitting under this Word. Because the authority of God is in this message. Amen. 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 Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Galatians 3, 2. This only what I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. What he's saying is, you heard my message. My message about faith. That's how you got the Spirit. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You see? What he's saying is, the message these oxen carry brings the Spirit. So you have the Spirit of God in you. Jesus had the Spirit without measure, the Bible taught us. You have the Spirit, maybe in measure, but you have the Spirit full time. That's a big difference. For 4,000 years of human history, the Spirit of God would come upon men and leave. Come upon men and leave. Come upon men and leave. That's why you see... You see uh, Samson, he's such a big hero. We love to tell our kids stories about Samson, don't we? My mama used to tell my brother stories about Samson. And he just loved Samson's stories. But he'd say, Mama, don't tell me that last story. But son, that's his life. You've got to hear it. And she'd tell him about how Samson got his eyes put out. And how he brought down that temple, that last miracle, as his hair began to grow back. And he would just cry like a little baby. Just cry because Samson died. Well, what happened to Samson? How did he get in that position? The Spirit left him. But it came back on him at the end. He had it, he didn't have it. He had it, he didn't have it. He had it and didn't have it. We find this throughout all of history. David, oh, was there anybody like David? We love David, don't we? How many of you love King David? I love this guy, I love this guy. They ought to make a movie of his life. They have, they have made a few of them, I guess. But man, oh man, what a guy. But then one day he decides not to go out and fight. I think I'm going to take some R&R. You guys are good enough. You go out and fight for me. I'll just stay here at the palace and see what I can see. <laughs> Don't think he didn't know that woman lived next door to him. Don't think he didn't know who she was. He had seen her on the streets. There's no question. She lived next door. Oh, I looked at her. Looked at her. There she was right there. On her roof. He had a plan. Why? Because he was only, the Spirit was only on him if he was in his assignment. 
His assignment was not to stay home and relax. His assignment was to go out and kick the devil in the teeth. Yeah. And when he didn't go, the Spirit lifted off of him. He did not possess the Spirit like you possess the Spirit. Right. See, right. he said, you read the rest of that chapter of Galatians, it talks about the Spirit being our gift from God. The Spirit is our gift from God. He was never a gift. He had not been given as a gift to the people of God. He was only a force that would come upon them, a powerful force that would come upon them from time to time. Now, he was a person. He's a person. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it was like a, 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 just a powerful force that would come upon men to help them change their, their, their uh, actions and their ideas for a, mom, for a moment. It was always momentary. Came and left, came and left. That's why you don't want to make these guys too much your heroes and think that that's the way you're supposed to live. You're not supposed to live in an up and down sort of Christianity. You have the Spirit. 1 John 2, 27 says, For the anointing which you have received stays, abides with you, lives with you. Thank you Amen. Amen. Thank you, now, in Matthew chapter 11, let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. You can just put up verse 1 and we'll just read through it. I'm going to show you something powerful. You have the Spirit full time. I probably won't finish this message today because it has seven main points. And I may get through three of them or two of them or whatever, but we'll pick it up next time. Is that all right? We all come back and hear it? Depends on how good it is, I guess. <laughs> and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. In verse 2. Now when John the Baptist had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? That's the most shocking statement in the New Testament. Yeah. To me, that's the most shocking question, query, in the whole Bible. Wait a minute, John. You're the one who told us he was the Christ. You're the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. You're the one who announced Him. Yeah. What are you doing now? Back it up on that. And, and how dare you back up on that? Yeah. Tell us He was certainly the one. Then say, Are you the one or would we look for another? Does He sound like an ordinary idiot that doesn't know anything to you right now? He does to me. <laughs> After He told us He was the one. What's the answer here? Was John an idiot? No. The Spirit was no longer on him here. Because Jesus had not yet died and been glorified to send back the Spirit. So the Spirit was using John. He was not a gift to John like he is to you. As great as John the Baptist was. We're going to read on. I'll show you something. Verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Skip down to verse 10. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. He's talking to the crowd now. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, and which shall prepare thy way before thee. He said before this, he said, What did you go in the desert to see? A prophet? Yea, more than a prophet. For of those who are born of women, there's not, never been a greater than John. He, he, what Jesus just said was, Elijah was not greater than John. What Jesus just said was, Moses was not greater than John. What Jesus just said was that Elisha, 
Isaiah was not greater than John. Jeremiah was not greater than John. John was big time. He's with the big dogs. But read this next verse. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. Wow. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those of us who get the Spirit full time. I got the Spirit full time. I'm not greater than John until the Spirit came into me full time. That makes me greater than all the Old Testament saints. Are you hearing me? You should not use them as your heroes. Not the Old Testament saints. They're probably looking at you as their heroes. They're thinking, that guy prays in tongues all the time. Look at that holler. He's thinking about Jesus all the time. He goes to bed at night thinking about Jesus. Gets up in the morning thinking about Jesus. Talks to his friend about Jesus. Man, I didn't do that. I just did it when the Spirit was on me. That was rare. They can't, they, can't, they can't understand why we're like we are. Are you hearing me? Now they had moments we want to emulate. They had wonderful things that, that they did that we want to emulate. But only emulate them when the Spirit is on them. Because that's showing you you. Amen. Don't get too comfortable with the idea that the Holy Spirit is in you because you won't do anything. Remember every day, the Spirit of God is in my life. I have Him here as my gift. That means I can do anything, praise God. Now I want you to see uh, this next thought. The table of showbread. The table of showbread was really on the right side as you walk into the temple. You go inside the inner court. This is the holy place. Not the Holy of Holies, but the Holy Place. And on to the right over there was a table of showbread. That speaks to us of the body of Jesus broken for fulfillment of Scripture. It represents the body of Jesus broken for fulfillment of Scripture. That bread was edible bread and they did eat it. It was for show. It tells us that God became man and showed himself to us. But what it means to you and me is you now have eternal life, strength, and healing. You now have eternal life, strength, and healing. And we just practiced it in the Lord's Supper. He said, I am that bread that came down from heaven. Glory to God. We just practiced it. Practiced taking the communion. The Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you to get some grape juice or a bottle of red wine or whatever you feel like you need to use and have communion at home. We have communion here once a month. The best we could do would be about, about once a week. But you can have communion in your home every day. Every day. This is an intimacy with Jesus. There's nothing more intimate than a meal. Breaking bread. When you, have, when you eat with somebody, you get to know them. 
because they inadvertently say things they didn't mean to say. <laughs> the concentrating on eating and, and who they really are just comes out. It's the truth. It's the truth. I've been at this a long time. I know what I'm talking about. You, when, you, when you're eating with somebody, generally they're, they're concerned. If, meeting, if you meet with somebody for the first time and you eat with them, they're going to be a little bit concerned about their manners. They're going to be concentrating on how they're eating. And what they, yeah, Frank eats with his hands. He, you got to eat the tortillas with your hands, I know. I know I like that too. I, I remember the first time I went to a restaurant that had watermelon cut up in little cubes. I thought, what is this? I'm used to eating watermelons by the halves. Uh, anybody in my right house? See, we raised watermelons on our farm in Thackerville because it was sandy soil. And you take a watermelon and cut it in half and salt it down and eat that baby all by yourself. Amen. Just dig it out. Never heard of these little cubes. Who makes square watermelons anyway? Never heard of such a thing. But, but, a, but a meal is a, is a real intimate thing. It helps you get to know people. And Jesus gave us this meal so we could be reminded that he is in us. And he, said, he didn't say this is something like the covenant. This is representative of the covenant. He said this is the cup in the new covenant. So he's given us something to put our faith to. I say that the body, that I, that, that bread that I ate this morning is his body. Yes. I say it because that's what the Bible says. And I, I drink that cup and I say, this is his blood. I do that because, because he said it was. Amen. We don't have to be freaky and weird and, uh, and use fear all the time. Just make sure we're saying, well, it's really just a symbol. We're not Catholic. You know, we don't believe in transubstantiation. That's, and that's a lot of the fear that goes on. And you can't attach your faith to it by calling it a symbol. I don't attach my faith to anything that's symbolic. Yeah. Right. I attach my faith to the truth. And Jesus said, the bread is my body, the cup is my blood. Now you don't have to believe in transubstantiation. All you have to do is put your faith to it. Because faith is the substance, is the transubstance. Are you hearing me? Faith says what it is. If your faith says that is blood, the blood of Jesus, that's what it is. If your, if your, your faith says that bread is his body, that's what it is. And this morning, you just took the life of God inside you. Amen. Amen. To bring about. And the reason we do this, listen to me. The reason we do this, according to that, that, that set of scriptures that I didn't read, you already have spiritual life upon believing on Jesus. This helps to prolong your natural life. Your body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Oh, that's good right there. Drinking of it in a worthy way means that you live a long, prosperous life. I don't know about you, but I want to live a long time. I want to stay here as long as I can and terrorize the devil every day. <laughs> Who's going to take my place? Who's going to take your place when you go? Well, anyway. You now have eternal life, strength, and healing because of the table of showbread. You have that in you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And finally today, I'll pick up and we'll look at those last two next week. Is that all right? Amen. The lampstand. That's on the other side. That's at... Menorah, we call it the menorah, right? It's got, it either has seven or nine uh, candlesticks on it. 
Depends on the occasion. Most of the time, seven. I've even seen one that had five, you know. And I love all those numbers, don't you? Five, the number of grace. Seven, the number of perfection. Nine, the number of gifts. Ooh, that works for me. The lampstand. That, that tells us of the revelations that Jesus brought to the world. Jesus taught things that nobody else ever heard of. Wait a minute, Jesus. What, what's this? Say that one more time. If I look at a woman and undress her with my eyes, that's adultery in the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's a revelation. Yeah. I'm shining the light on what you really think. I'm shining the light on you. Oh, that's good. Better than you're shouting. The lampstand is, a, is an indication of revelation. It indicates the revelation that was on Jesus. Jesus taught all kinds of things. You must be born again. What? The leaders of Israel had never heard this kind of language. You must be born again. What? Nicodemus, a leader of the synagogue in the temple. Uh, what? Be what? He was, he, was, he was so shocked. He said, how can I enter my mother's womb again? Jesus thinking, what's wrong with you? You're a leader in, in, in Israel and you don't have any revelation. You don't have any sense of what's spiritual. Jesus brought new light. And that's what the lampstand's all about. Not only that, for you and me, it means our revelation of the mystery. Our revelation of the mystery. That's what the lampstand means. Remember, there was a special message for the Gentile that had never even been preached by Jesus. Jesus never preached that he died for our sins. He had never preached that. Look it up yourself. And you're going to find I'll save you some time. It's not there. Jesus did not preach that gospel until he gave it to Paul to preach. Peter never preached that gospel. Peter never ever said Christ died for our sins until he wrote his letters, which was way late. He never said that in the book of Acts. Did you know that? He was always accusing them that they shouldn't have killed their Messiah. And calling them to repent for murdering their Messiah. That was his message all the time. Did you hear me? And it worked. Because that's all a Jew had to do was believe Jesus was who he said he was. Believe he was the Son of God. But that's not what you're called to do. You're called to believe that not only was he the Son of God, but that he died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel to the Gentiles. Yeah. To 99.8% of the entire world. That is the gospel. It's all about Jesus. We all get our righteousness the same way by faith in him. But hearing it a little bit differently... If you read the Bible right, read, read about the audience that, that they had, you'll find that Jesus had a special mystery, a special lampstand for you and me. That believing on Jesus was not about carrying a cross. Believing on Jesus is not about you suffering a cross. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's nowhere in the book of Acts. There's nowhere in the, any of the writings of Paul. That just does not exist. I am crucified with Christ. That's a finality statement. Come on, let's say it together. I am crucified with Christ. I don't need to crucify my flesh. Nothing made me to crucify. It's already crucified. It's already gone. 
Amen. Amen. Now my body doesn't need to be crucified anyway. Because my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Why do you want to crucify the temple of the Holy Ghost? What's wrong with you, you stupid religious people? Why do you want to crucify a holy temple? Amen. It's just not in the Bible. And so much of that, so much of that preaching goes on. Everybody shouts, amen, amen. I say, man, you're defiling the temple of God with that, that talk. Defiling the temple of God, God with the wrong blood. You make it the blood of our, our blood. Be redemptive. And the only redemptive blood is the blood of Jesus. My blood doesn't save anybody. His blood already saved everybody who believe it. Our revelation of the mystery. That's what the lampstand is. I want to pray with you right now. Father, thank you today for showing us these wonderful truths about what is in the temple. Thank you, Lord, that we have present inside us as a people of God, that we have freedom from guilt and a shame-free heart. Thank you, Jesus, that we have the Spirit resident, inherent, because some ox brought us a message. Thank you, Jesus, that we have the anointing that abides as well. Thank you, Lord, that we now have eternal life, strength, and healing for our temples. Thank you, Lord, that we have the revelation of the mystery. Not just the history, not just that Christ died and was buried and rose again, but that he died for our sins and that he was buried and rose again the third day. Thank you for this great gospel that changes everything. And thank you for the lampstand that shines the light upon that. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Now, with your heads bowed.